You do. Do I? How do I have that? How do you know I have? Because I remember, I remember because they spent a ton of them, and we get, I don't know if you kept it, but it was given to me. All right. I didn't get one. You want one? <laughs> Evidently, there's one. What are you going to do with that? I didn't get one. Take what you want. All right. We're going to send you over 100. You're going to sit just, there with them. Just say that. And I don't want one. <laughs> she just wants you to know she was overlooked. Uh, all right. Anyway, Robin, um, there you go. Hey, Gary, let me take a break. Bicio. I'm excited always to talk to Paul McCartney. You know that. I, I, I opened up the show with a 15-minute reason why Paul McCartney might be the most important dude in the world. And, uh, and you know what? You can't really debate it. Do. You can't really debate it. When I, when I lay out the facts, it's pretty fucking convincing. Really. Maybe the most important man in music? Absolutely that. But he might also be the most important man in the world. Okay, we'll ask him yeah. if he feels that way. <laughs> I feel that way. Never mind what he feels. <laughs> All right. That was my musical influence. My my dad singing "Never Walk Alone." That's uh, that's why I never went into music. Uh, <laughs> uh, that was the kind of music you were surrounded by. Yeah, Paul's dad, Paul McCartney's dad, played piano, and yeah, my dad didn't. So there you go. That's the difference. Sometimes that can be all the difference in the in the world. Actually, I thought I'd play a little Foo Fighters, Learn to Fly, because uh, Paul inducted Foo Fighters into the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame recently. Yeah, I just was reading that they're going to do a movie, The Foo's. Every one of right? them is going to be in this movie. They And Dave gonna... wrote it. And well, there's uh, another... they're all going to star in it. There's another reason Paul is one of, is, as my my estimation, the most important man in the world. Because think of the movie Help, that started that whole movement of rock videos, musicians doing music and movies. He did it all. Everybody else has to bow to the man. When he talks, you listen. Like I said this morning, uh, Paul's getting set up, getting his mic. Ready to talk about the book. New book is called uh, The Lyrics. Interesting book, man. I loved it. It's all about Paul's take on a bunch of songs he wrote. About 150-something songs he talks about. And it's filled with, um, oh gosh, all kinds of memorabilia and pictures. A lot of stuff Linda took. Linda was a smart woman. When Paul was writing a lot of those songs, you know what she did? She grabbed the lyrics when they were writing it, and he put, and she made a scrapbook for him. And I'll tell you what, a lot of the early Beatles stuff, the boys didn't save their, um, they didn't save the lyric sheets that they would scribble on. Yeah, I remember a story that Paul told, I think, where he heard from somebody who had some of their original lyrics. He was just right. working in the studio, and he collected them. Yeah. But Linda was smart. She said, "Listen, I'm going to save all this stuff." You, yeah, you they write, should be saved. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You get you. You know, you start writing band on the run, dude. I'm putting this in the scrap. But anyway, <laughs> hey, Paul, uh, Paul McCartney, probably Good the morning. greatest. Not the probably the greatest living, uh, greatest living songwriter of all time. Uh, this is him. Let me take a look at him. You hear me, okay, there Paul? I hear you. Yeah, I'm not answering to that. Uh, intro bit, you know yes let's thank not, you i am not even, in fact the greatest you are you are the greatest uh -huh. and i said oh, to robin this morning the reason i take you so seriously 
The fact that I lived in the same time frame that you lived, people years from now will be like, oh my God, that person was alive when Paul McCartney was alive. I mean, the albums, you know, I, I'm just talking, let, let's not even go into your solo stuff for a minute. The albums, the Beatles put, I mean, albums, not just songs. What is the greatest oh, yeah. Beatles album of all time? I, me and my buddy, I said, hey, Paul's coming on. We got into this thing like everybody does, but he goes, Abbey Road is the greatest uh, Beatles album of all time. I go, wait a second. You're forgetting the White Album. You're forgetting Meet the Beatles. And how groundbreaking. And then, then we go, oh, yeah, but what about Revolver? What about Rubber Soul? What about a magical mystery tour? It's what is, Paul, settle it and right now. What is the greatest Beatles album of all time? Yeah, I don't know. i got the same problem as you, you know. We did a lot of good stuff, and um, each one was so different. I think that's what makes it difficult to judge. Um, Revolver seemed to me to be a big turning point. Um, I, just, I just felt like we really were, you know, walking up this staircase at that point, you know. Um so, yeah, but I can't tell. I don't you know. Can't tell. You know, the book, I love the book. The book is called Lyrics. I was just complimenting Linda before you came on. She was smart. I realize now with all the artwork you have in there, pictures and musical lyric sheets, Linda mm. was smart. She said, I'm going to save some of these. When you write a song, Paul, I'm going to put it in a scrapbook for you. Mm. You know what? When you're writing it, you're like, well, who the hell's going to save this piece of paper? But it was smart, wasn't it? I know, yeah. We never thought about it. Um, we would only use them to when we were writing and then in the studio to just remember the lyrics. And then we'd walk away once we were finished and we'd leave them there. Right. And uh, there was one particular guy. <laughs> who thought I should collect these and keep safekeeping? It was like years and years later. I'm taking my daughter Mary through the British Museum Library because she's at, she was at school, and I wanted to tell her about the library experience because when I was at school, it kind of helped a bit, you know, sort of essays and so. So I'm taking her through there, and in one of these cases, next to like James Joyce and. Shakespeare, all these people, there's, there's one of my lyrics, Yesterday. And it was this guy. He wow. collected it and then sort of loaned it to the museum. So, yeah, we thought nothing of them, you know, and just, you know, would have thrown them away. But as you say, I, then Linda would see them and think, oh, I'll save these. And, yeah. So she that's did. great. What a gift she left you. Where are you now? Is this your home that I'm looking at, or are you no, at a studio? No, this is my office in London. Ah, I'm in nice. my office in uh, Soho Square. In but you have you have a separate office outside of your home. I would think you would just keep your office yeah. in your home. No, what do you do in the I like, office? I like the home to be the home, and no recording studio, no office, nothing. And you've got to go to the office. Did I ever ask school? you? You keep instruments in your home, um, uh, right? I mean, in other words, if I went yeah. to your house, there'd be a piano. And so, did I tell you when I interviewed yeah. Elton John, he he said to me, "I do not keep a piano in my house. I never have. I only play." Uh, that seems mind blowing to me. Does that not yeah. seem unusual to you? Well, Elton I mean, John? then it's then it's his sanctuary. Then you know, at least he can just 
forget about it. I get that, you know. But I've I've always got one there in case I want to write something, you know. And um, yeah, it, 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 you know, I like them as well. I, I'm happy to have them there. So you, yeah, I, uh, I pretty much got an instrument nearly everywhere I go. You know, like I've got a guitar in in uh, in the office we're in. On a, I'm in, and then there's one on the top floor where there's a piano. And so, do you yeah, play it every day? Will you do it every no. day? Will you? You won't. No. No, just when I'm in the mood or when I've got a bit of time, you know, or uh, when I fancy it. I don't, you know, I don't uh, go and try and write a song every day. But sometimes you just get a little idea or sometimes it's late at night and you've had a little drink and you yeah. wander over and you make these terrible demos of <laughs> <laughs> this old drunken uncle that is a great idea i'm not I quite love, that bad but uh yeah i love your whole notion in the new book the book is called lyrics and i first of all i love the idea that your memory of all things mccartney is not really all that solid but yet you say when i hear a song if you play a song for me that I did, I, that will bring back my memory. I can remember everything mm. that went around that song, how I wrote mm. it, what I was thinking about. And that's the concept of the um, book. And it, mm. for me, it was great as a, as a fan of yours because these are the kinds of questions I want answered. But I loved particularly you talk about uh, the song Confidante and you go, confidant, I should say, um, mm. the guitar is like a woman. Now, I never heard this. Like, Billy Joel has said to me, when he looks at the piano, it looks like a shark biting his fingers. He, 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 he almost <laughs> hates the piano. But you say about the guitar in the book, it's like a woman. You cradle it, and when you compose, yeah. you're telling her your secrets. And the piano, you say, you push away. Yeah. And I never looked at it that way. It's yeah, fascinating. It's uh... You know, the guitar was the first one. Does I mean, I had a piano in my house that my uh, my dad used to play, um, but the first thing that was mine was the guitar. So it was a very precious thing for you, as anyone who's you know ever had their first guitar knows. Um, it becomes something very precious, and. Uh, yeah, with that particular guitar that you're talking about, I talk about in the book. Um, it's a real nice Martin guitar, and uh, I was it was just leaning um, in the corner of the room, and I just looked at it and thought, I've been too busy to even play that guitar, and so uh, I just thought, well, let me let me tell the guitar about how I feel, you know. So I just started talking to the guitar, you know. You used to be my under-the-staircase friend. Well, and that's because that literally was true, you know, in the little house we had. The best place for me to go and uh, not be heard was underneath the staircase, you know. And there's something very intimate about you. You're, you're my underneath-the-staircase friend. I um, love that. I I, I yeah. never looked at an instrument that way. Of course it would be that way to you. I mean, first of all, the guitar yeah. liberated you. It helped you. But you're really talking to your guitar. Uh, yeah. It, 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 it is. It's like, the, it's like the intimate relationship between a man and a woman. Yeah. The it's, other thing... Uh, yeah, it's, it's very special. Let's say the shape, like you, you pointed out, you know, is very womanly. 
yeah. and the fact that you kind of cradle it. So, uh, and you, you know, you tell it all your secrets because, you know, often, and I know this is true, like of John and I, I think most people, you know, who write songs, um, if you're having a bad day or if you have an argument with someone or you're just a bit pissed or something, um, you can pick up your guitar, you can kind of get away from the world, find a very quiet place and start strumming on your guitar. And immediately you start to feel a little bit better. And then if you're lucky, you've got the time, you can start making a song that makes the situation better. Um, you know, like I wrote the song for no one. And remember that was that kind of thing. You know, we'd, we'd had a, uh, my girlfriend at the time was Jane Asher. Um, and we're on holiday together and we'd had a little bit of a, you know, not, not major thing, but a little bit of a disagreement. And I was feeling a bit sort of low. So I sort of went off and, um, started, you know, on your eyes, I see nothing. Um, you know, I just started to put my feelings, uh, into a song through the guitar. And it's kind of nice because once you finish it, it's like you've had a psychiatric session. And you've told all your secrets and, wow. and now you feel much better. You've got rid of it, you know? Yeah, you know, into, when I But into something nice, you know, into something you can then go, oh, here's all my feelings in a bundle. Let's record it. Yeah, I was amazed by, you know, I'm always curious about your songwriting process. But then when I was reading the book, I was like, wow, this woman, Jane Asher, who you dated, you know, a, a long, long time ago. She seemed like a really great love of yours. Um, you know, you write about the first time that you told her you loved her. You guys were being chased by the paparazzi. You sit down in a in a theater and you turn to her and go, I love you. This Jane Asher seemed like a great love. What what actually did go wrong? I mean, why why did you guys never marry? Oh, you know, it, life's little things, Howard. I don't know. Um, well, no, I do know. We, we were very good with each other, but when it came to the idea of settling down with each other forever, um, mm. I didn't think we were quite compatible enough. And, uh, you know, there just were little things that were like, nah, it's not, it's, it's so nearly right, but not. Uh, and that not was was why we didn't get married. And then shortly after that, I met Linda, where I felt the opposite way. I felt, oh wow, even even if we have a disagreement, I still feel like um, she's the one that I can spend my life with. You know, are you are you like me that um, I I go crazy with old girlfriends? I go on Facebook and I try to look up to see how they've aged. And so I figured, well, you're you're probably above all that. So I went on uh, I went on some website. I said, let me see how what Jane Asher is up to. Got five kids, and boy, she looks good. Yeah, good looking yeah. woman. Uh, she aged very mm -hmm. well. Do you ever do stuff like that? Where you, you yeah, I want to no, see you, uh, I'm not no? pervert, Howard. <laughs> that's not perverted, Paul. <laughs> it is. That's, it is. That's Howard. Curious. Is it? That's, per that's, a, that's the diary of a pervert. 
Why? Explain that to me. I don't think you're joking, but why is that a no, pervert? No, I am joking. I am joking. Oh, you are? Okay, it's, it's okay. I, I don't happen to do that, I must say. I, I I'm happily married. Face. I got Nancy now, and I'm very happy. Nancy's married. fabulous. I love that, Nancy. You've been very good with women. You know, I was talking about you this morning. I said, you know, Paul is, you know, again, I, uh, you don't have to say it, the, the greatest songwriter ever. And I said, but he's incredibly good with women. I mean, you know, you never let it really, the stardom, the fame, the accolades. You didn't, I don't feel you got carried away as a human being. I really feel you were pretty well grounded. And, and, and that's reflected in your family and the way you are. I, I really do mean it. And then the other thing that I, you know, I, I, you brought it up in the book, but in such a casual way. Here you are, the greatest songwriter ever lived. And you can't read music and you can't write music formally. That's right. insane. That is just so crazy. It's crazy. It is. Are, are well, this... you know, especially when you're doing orchestral music, that really is insane. It I mean, when insane. you're doing, when you're doing, you know, with a group, you can just tell each other or show each other. It goes like this. And with the Beatles, we'd all come up, we'd grown up together. So... You know, if I just sort of said, these are the chords, you know, George F, G minor, George would know exactly what I was talking about and wouldn't puzzle about it. We'd just go, yeah, okay, F, G minor. Um, and we were like that in the Beatles. You could just tell each other how it went. So we never needed to uh, read music. It was only when we started to put uh, instruments like a string quartet on yesterday, those kind of little things. And then we had George Martin. Right. So we, we'd just go around to George's house and sort of say, okay, here's what I've got. These are the chords. And he would say, wait a minute, and he'd start writing it down, you know. So we were kind of covered in that area. Um, but late, much later on, then I, start, I was asked to write um, a thing for a Liverpool symphony orchestra so i wrote with a friend of mine called carl davis i wrote this thing called the liverpool oratorio and he had to sit by me and put it all down because i would go down 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 and he'd go wait a minute and then he'd play it back to me i go yeah that's great so i you know you have to use a different system but does it frustrate you but does it frustrate no. you that you need these other guys to write these things down? You don't care. It, it doesn't no, get No, not really. Way. No, it's kind of nice, actually, because otherwise you're working on your own all the time. It's kind of nice when somebody else comes in the room. But um, no, it, it's, it's fine. I like, I like the whole process. Because um, you were saying you know, in the book, you were saying in the book, like Eleanor Rigsby, Rig, uh, Eleanor Rigby is um, one, one of my favorite songs. And yet, you say it's amazingly simplistic that you can play it on two chords. Eleanor Rigby. Basically, yeah. yeah. Mm. And so I went and got my guitar. Because you say in the book, it's, uh, I forget yeah. what you said, it's like a C and a D or whatever the hell it was. I, e I minor I and know. C. Yeah. Okay, E minor and C. So I started strumming. E minor and C. E minor and C. Uh. And I was like, oh shit. Paul's right. It's that simple. It's E minor and C over and over again. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and, 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 and do you think if you had known to read music or had that you would never have even simplified those songs so much? That well, you know, that's kind of the theory. Yeah. It's like, 
you can know too much. Now, you know, whenever I say this and start talking like this, I say to the kids out there who are learning music, keep going, because that's great too. But in our case, um, none of us could handle music lessons because it was boring. And our minds were sort of racing ahead of the music teacher who'd make you go, dum, 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 dum. No, 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 no. Don't like this. You know, right. Yeah. You just could never get inspired. So what, as I say, what we used to do was just make it all up. And we we're lucky because we're in a group. We all understood what that meant. So we could go and just make the record. And, you know, if we wanted to do a, a guitar solo, for instance, um, me and George are on the song And Your Bird Can Sing, where there's like a, a two guitars playing in harmony. We just sort of stand there and go, okay, what's the harmony? Yeah, wow, let's do that. Um, and, you know, it, it is a bit kind of, um, it should be nerve-wracking, but it never was. I mean... I think about it, on the Penny Lane record, there's a, a little high trumpet called a piccolo trumpet. And we got, yes. the, George Martin got the best piccolo trumpet man in town, a guy called Dave Mason. And he was from a classical orchestra. So it, I, we'd made the track, but we left the space for the solo that, that I thought would be good on it. Um, so David comes in and he's getting his trumpet ready and that. And he said, uh, oh, so what do you want me to play? I go, oh, uh, oh, I don't know. And I start sort of doing a melody. And George wanted to go, oh, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. And they'd write it down. Wow. But, you know, we were kind of confident enough to just just make it up in the room. Um, yeah, but, then, what, then what, the but what I love... actually. But, Paul, what I, you're leaving out the best part in the book that you write in the, in the book about that story. You're, st you're, you're sitting there putting together Penny Lane. You decide to put piccolo trumpet in it. You bring in the yeah. best piccolo trumpet guy. Yeah. And you say, here's the notes I want you to hit. And the guy goes, I don't think I can hit that note. It's too high. And you turn to him and said, you can do it. Do it. <laughs> and, and he hit it. He hit the note in Penny Lane. You wouldn't accept the fact that he said he couldn't hit that note. No. He just said it's just, he said it's outside the range of the instrument. You know, the instrument goes, <laughs> and I said, well, it's only one higher, you know, you can do it. <laughs> you can do looked, it. You know, I gave him a mischievous look and he gave me a mischievous look back and we went, yeah, come on, let's go for it. And he did it. And I think it plagued him the, his whole career because everyone would say, play that Penny Lane thing. You go, bloody hell, there's that note again. Unbelievable. You but know, that's maybe the you're kind right. of fun, you know, that's the kind yeah. of, that's the kind of, as you say, if, if I'd been classically trained, I probably would have never asked him to do that note because I would have known it was off, off the range of his instrument. So that's what I was just going to say. It kept it exciting, you know. Yeah, no, I mean, if you were, you would have said, yeah, okay, you can't hit that note. We'll come up with a different note. Are there songs yeah. that you listen to now? Either, either from your your solo career, Wings career, Beatles career, that you say, you know, and I'll tell you what got me thinking about this question. When I talked to Billy Joel the other day, he was telling me he hates the song Captain Jack. He thinks it's a bad song. He goes, it's boring. It's the same two chords over and over again. It's it's one of my favorite songs that he does. He goes, it's a terrible song. It's just, <laughs> it's it's too repetitive. 
when I hear it, I go, what was I thinking? It's a boring song. It's the same. Do you now, being who you are and reflect back, do you hear songs that you say, that was not a good song. I could have done that better. Yeah, I think so. You know, um, you, you have songs that uh, lyrically, for instance, rock show, um, there's all sorts of very suspect lyrics in that, which you like about, you know, the guy picks up his axe. And it's not, I would have never said, hey, man, hand me that axe. It's a guitar, you know, but I was trying to be in the period, you know, because you axe and there's, there's a lot of that in that song. And I, we were talking about doing it once with my current band. Um, and I've got, the guys are all younger than me. So um, I said, oh, no, I don't think they said, we could do rock show. I said, no, no, I hate it, axe and all this sort of stuff. And they said, oh, it's great. We love all that because they were sort of younger and, you know, it it seemed to them like a good lyric. So that kind of almost changes my mind. I sort of think, yeah, well, maybe you're right. Let's try it. So we did try it, but we don't do it these days. Right. Do you think when you, and, and, and I, maybe it's hard to be honest about this, but when you listen to, especially... I never trust her. What? Well, it's hard to be honest. I never oh, touched her. Right. It wasn't me, officer. <laughs> <laughs> no, what I'm saying is, when you would, you know, hear songs, and, and, and being, you know, a musician, of course you listen to other musicians. It's how you get inspiration. It's, you know, it's interesting to see what people are doing. You even say in the book when, when um, you know, Jimi Hendrix had a big mind-blowing experience, uh, 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 certainly uh, an influence on you. You say mm. your favorite guitar is the epiphone guitar now i i'm not a musician i didn't know what the, i know fender i know stratocaster i've heard gibson mm. and you say my favorite guitar became the epiphone guitar mm. because i heard Jimi hendrix playing with feedback and i went to the store and i said i got to get a guitar that has feedback on it i want to use this and it ended up mm. like so all of these all of these influences come in mm. But when you would hear a song on the radio like Yummy, 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 I Got Love in My Tummy or Everybody's Kung Fu Fighting, you know, if you go back and, and listen to some of the, the sh you know, I'm going to call these shitty songs. They were popular, but they mm. were shitty. Were you very critical of other musicians? Would you sit there and say, Jesus Christ, what have we spawned? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, but you know what I mean? You hear those kind of songs and you just think, well, I won't be buying that one. <laughs> you know, I just, I, I just pass them by, you know, it's like, nah, somebody's gonna like that. Uh, maybe, you know, eight year olds or something, you know, uh, right. and you just get your favorites. So, like, you know, I might be, might have been listening to Jimmy or Bob Dylan or people like that, Neil Young and people. Uh, so I just concentrate on them and, and let the other stuff go by. When you talk about in the book, um, you still to this day, do some kind of hand exercises because your father was a piano player and he uh, toward, you know, toward the end of his life, he couldn't play the piano mm -hmm. anymore because he had a, an arthritis, uh, an arthritic condition in his hands. Right. Yeah. You're very worried about that, right? You const as you age, you're like, Oh God, I don't want to end up like my father. I got to be able to play the piano. Well, it's not that I worry about it, but I'm conscious of it. And someone once told me some hand exercises. So I do them. 
And will that stave you, off arthritis? I mean, will if you keep them yeah. constantly moving like that? Really? I don't know. I mean, here's no. the sound of one hand clapping. Oh, wow. You know, <laughs> yeah, you I can can't do that. that. You see? That's hard. Oh, wow. He's practiced. Here's wow. the sound of two hands clapping. <laughs> wow. Oh, Very impressive. Your hands could be cast. <laughs> well, it's actually hard to do, but yeah. if you do it like, you know, a little, little bit. Uh, every so often, it's, it feels like it keeps your hands. A lot, so many things I learned in this book. Um, you talk about playing the bass, and uh, you are certainly an accomplished bass player. There's no question about it. And yet, you didn't even want to play the bass. You said, to, "You said," and I'm quoting now, that you said that it's the fat guy who always plays bass. I didn't want to play the bass, <laughs> but none of the other dudes wanted to do it. So I became the bass player. I didn't know that. And and yeah, and, and, yeah, that's that's crazy. Well, and then you, you, know, tr- we you tried in, to we, play lead. You tried to play lead, right? But but you, you got nervous yeah. and choked. What what happened there? Yeah, that was uh, exactly that. Uh, we had uh, in a very early uh, formation of the group. Um, we did a little gig, and it was one of the first times I'd ever done it. And, I, and in rehearsal, I could do this nice little guitar solo, you know. So I was choose to do it on in this place called the Co-op Hall in Broadway. Only in Liverpool. So right. anyway, they're, we're there, we're there, you know, comes my turn. Yeah. And my fingers just would not move. Go, tick, tick, oh, God, you know. And it, so there's this great big space with me clonking away. And I just thought, <laughs> no, sticky fingers. I thought, forget it. I'm not going to play lead guitar anymore. Uh, anyway, fortunately, George came in the group and he didn't have that problem. He was terrific. But we ended up in Hamburg, and um, I was playing guitar still then. But I'd had such a cheap instrument because my dad was very keen on me not getting into debt. He was a sort of working-class man, and he himself had got into debt or he'd blown all his wages on the horses. And so he had so many cautionary tales that he'd... I, I, in other words, I got a very cheap guitar. It looked good, right. but it was very cheap. And while I was in Hamburg, it kind of fell apart. You know, the sweaty clubs and stuff. It must have ruined the glue or something. Anyway, so suddenly I didn't have a guitar. So for, then I used to go the, on piano. The, the stage had a little piano. So I would turn away from the audience and play piano for a while. And then Stuart, who was our bass player, had decided that he was going to stay in Hamburg because he fell in love with this girl, Astrid, out there. So now suddenly we didn't have a bass player. So everyone kind of looking at each other, well, who's going to play bass then? You know, we could all probably do it, but who's going to do it? And John and George went, not me. I'm not doing it. So that kind of left left me. And I was like, <laughs> oh, all right then. I suppose I'll do it. So I was, you know, it was dumped on me. But and for a little while I thought oh, this is boring. But then I heard James Jameson of uh, uh, you know Detroit from Detroit Motown, and I thought, whoa, okay, now here we go. I can play melodies and I can really do stuff that uh, can help the band out. Oh yeah, some of those bass lines, man, unbelievable! Like you really just you know you took it to another level. It's, uh, it's incredible. Fun with it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You accepted the fact that you were a bass player, and then it became good, and then it became something you wanted to do. Yeah. I got to play a. Now, Paul's book lyrics is out. 
And uh, it is sensational. Again, he goes through, it's exactly what I'd want in a book from you. I wanted to just hear you talk about these songs and tell me uh, the process. And I wanted to play a few of these for you. Now, this caught my attention when you wrote it. You were talking about the song Early Beatles, All My Loving. And you said, and this yeah. is fascinating, what made the song was John's rapid guitar in the beginning. And, that, and I'm going to play you a little of it. Too. This thing. You said, this is incredibly hard to do, that it takes tremendous yeah. stamina to strum it like does. that. Yeah. I never considered that, but you're right. Listen to that guitar going. Yeah. It's it's fabulous. And, you know, you just try it yourself. Just, it's just physically, it's quite hard, you know, but John would jump in and do something like that. Again, you see, you know, because we didn't know. Didn't know right. what you're supposed to do. Someone had written now <laughs> nobody would have written that as a guitar part. Right. You know, and it goes all the way. Well, pretty much it gets a it gets a break when they go now. Right. And then he goes bah, bah. So he's having a quick uh, quick break. So he's so in other words he's resting his wrist at this point in the song. I think so, yeah, at that point. Yeah. And it works oh, with that. the arrangement too. This song yeah. I love when you write about this. I don't know if you remember this one. It's called I Want to Hold Your Hand. <laughs> yeah, remember? Vaguely. Yeah. Um, now, the thing that intrigued me about this is you said I would. we as a band did not want to come to America unless we had a number one hit. This song stands out because you did it. It was like the fulfillment of desires. We need a number one song, and here it is. Just went to number one, and you guys came to America, and the rest is history. Yeah. And well, yeah, you know, there's so many uh, British guys who are just a little bit older than us who we kind of, you know, admired. Um, they'd all come over to America, and you think, oh, wow, they're really going to kill over there. Right. Um, and Americans weren't that interested, and you work it out. It's because Americans had Elvis. Or they right. had Little Richard, or they they had all the big rock and roll stars. So a solo singer uh, trying to be a little bit of an Elvis copy wouldn't work because you had Elvis and he was just miles better, you know. So we we kind of saw this happening, and I just sort of put it put two and two together, and I said to our manager that we can't go to America until we've got a number one. We were doing very well in England and like Europe and stuff. Yeah. And I said, we just got to wait. We just got to wait. Just hold it. And then suddenly this happens. And wow. Paul, holding it and waiting is really hard because the temptation back then is like, hey, we got to get to America. If we're ever really going to be big, America's the biggest market. So mm -hmm. really holding back and waiting was kind of a brilliant strategy. You could have come. And you could have said, hey, maybe something will happen, maybe it won't. But it was so smart because mm. then when you stepped off the plane, everybody wanted to see you and everybody yeah. wanted to know you. Oh, come on, man. There's nothing they could say. And that was like the, that was the idea, you know. It was like when we we get off the plane and, you know, everyone's like, yeah, because it's the number one. This is the number one act arriving. So that works. And then we had a little uh, press conference where there's all these hard-boiled New York guys. Hey, Beatles. Hey, Beatles. What do you know? You know, and we're going. Well, yes, we're number one in your country. 
And <laughs> what can they say to that? You know, I remember that press conference like it was yesterday. I remember watching it and I was like, boy, people are really hostile. Like the, these reporters are like hostile to the Beatles because you guys were number one. It, it's weird. Why were they so fucking hostile? I guess because well, you, you know, it's come on. It's just uh, New York journalists at that point felt they had to be, you know. Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. showing you. I'm a New Yorker. I'm not phased. You may be famous. You may, the girls may all like you, but I don't. Beetle. Hey, yeah. Beetle. Hey, Beetle. And we did, <laughs> I remember we did a, uh, a photo session in Central Park and uh, they're all going, hey, Beetle, 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 look at, look at me, look at me. And then we'd finished it, and it was all great. And we said, okay, thanks, you know. And he go, one more, one more for the West Coast. Come on, Beetle, one more for the West Coast. We go, okay. <laughs> yeah. But, you what know, it's it? just, they were trying to show that New York thing, you know. And we kind of liked it, because we're from Liverpool, you know. We know that, that yeah. one, you know. That was one thing we used to say to them. we say, you know, you, you know it, we're very similar in some ways, you know, because, like, if you guys... Um, want to take a bath? You say I want to take a bath. So do we. We don't say take a bath. So no, no, right. we're much more. You've got much more in common with you guys. So yeah, but it it, it was exciting as you can imagine. As great as your career has been, I get the feeling that when that song hit number one, you guys were in Paris, and yeah. you got a telegram. Back in those days, we got telegrams, and the telegram mm. said you guys are number one in America. Your song, you know, uh, I want to hold your hand is number one. Is there any greater high? Now, even with everything you've accomplished, was that the moment where you felt like I could be a real musician? I can actually, this can actually be a living. <laughs> yeah, that was a, that was a huge moment to say. As we're talking, you know, we'd waited and it was like maybe a dangerous strategy. You know, maybe we're going to wait and just, you know, you know, fall off the vine kind of thing. But here it was, you know, this telegram capital. Um, congratulations, boys. Number one in the US of A. And it's like, ah! And, you know, we just, uh, we just jumping around the room in Paris. It was at the George Sank Hotel in Paris. And we are just jumping around the room and we're getting the drinks out and we're just riding around the room on, on my, our roadie's back. <laughs> I can imagine. Just, what? A, whoa, how old were you? That was a what were you? Were you guys were probably I don't know, nineteen, twenty. I don't know. This kind of thing. Yeah, God, early twenty. Unbelievable. You yeah. know, I love. It was. I love, it was a great moment. I love this book, the lyrics, because you, you. It's the little moments in the book that I love. Like you say, you know, and you had time to reflect when you wrote it. You go one of the best songs I ever wrote. Now, I'm going to leave people to imagine what that song might be. What is Paul McCartney says? One of the best songs I ever wrote. And then I was shocked when it was this one. One, two, three, five. What a song, Paul. Come on. Come on, man. What a Almost. fucking song. And and I love that whole thing. You were writing it and you go, she was just 17, never been a beauty queen. That was your first thought. And yeah. John said to you, no fucking way, right? We're not going to say never been a beauty queen. <laughs> yeah, we you both know, and, looked at each other and I knew 
that he was going to say that, and I was like, oops, you know, this is, this is not good. That would have ruined the song, uh, right, Paul? It would have, because it, you can't say that about a woman. Yeah, she never been a beautiful... I mean, I love that you wrote that, but I guess the public wouldn't have accepted that line. No, you know, it, it wasn't good. It just, it was a rhyme, but it wasn't good, you know. It's funny, years later, I was getting um, a, a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, and Neil Young was there. Wow. Good old Neil, a buddy, you know. And... Yeah. Um, I told him that story. I said, you know, it was never been a beauty queen. And he goes, oh, yeah, great. And then he was playing that night. It was a music cares thing, you know, a big uh, benefit in L.A. And Neil was playing on it. And he did the song. And he used that line, of course. <laughs> right. Of course he, he did. He's the only one to ever use that line, I think. But, uh, no, it was great. And then um, I think uh, this is in the book where we, we were playing the White House for President Obama, which was another one of those incredible experiences. Um, and Jerry Seinfeld was on there, and he was doing a little chat about stuff, you know. So I'm sitting there next to the President of America and his wife and his kids and, you know, just uh, my wife. And the whole thing was, like, amazing. And uh, Jerry says, oh, Paul, you know, your lyrics here, he says, uh, she was just 17. You know what I mean. He said, Paul, I'm not sure we do know what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. He's unbelievable, Jerry, right? I mean, just a fucking funny man. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, really good. And Neil Young's a close friend of yours? I mean, like, will you pick up the phone and call him and talk music sometimes or just bullshit around? I mean, I, he's a fascinating yeah, guy. Yeah, I saw him. For, I was in New York the other night and uh, went out to dinner with him. It's great, actually. We had a little dinner with uh, him, a few mates. Um, all guys? Just like a, a bunch of It musicians? was all guys, actually. Yeah, it was all guys. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, we had a good laugh, you know. There was three of them, there were four, actually, but three who I knew, uh, comedians. Only trouble is, it was beautiful, and it was great. It was great to be there. But I was kind of an observer because... They started going, oh, you remember the, the, the love-in? Oh, my God, that was a great room. And they're going on about all these rooms and the so-and-so. And so. remember, remember Gallagher? Gallagher was great <laughs> because they lost me. I don't know what the hell this room or Gallagher is. So I kept having to say, well, who's that? You know, anyway. But they were on a roll. And I say, well, it, was, it was great just to observe it. You know, it was great fun. Yeah, that's probably fun for you. Where like maybe they're not talking music. Here's yeah. a bunch of comics talking about rooms that they played and uh, and all yeah, this and, exactly and other comics. Yeah, it, you probably love it that. It was cool. Yeah. Well, it's weird because when you when I read your book, I realize, hey, you know, so many of Paul's great songs are through observation, and now mm -hmm. you're the observed one. You go out to dinner with a bunch of guys. It's like, hey, let's sit there and hear what Paul's got to say. So it's kind of nice mm -hmm. where some guys can just say, hey. Uh, never mind this guy. Let's talk about rooms we played. You know, it, it's a rare, it's, yeah, it's really, it it's good. great. Yeah. Yeah. Here's a song you might remember. I'm going to play this for you. It's called And I Love Her. Nice song. I give her all my love. Now, what I was curious about, that little intro, you write, your memory of that was, George Martin said, 
that song needs an intro, and George came up with that on the spot. I'm talking about this little part here. In other words, that wasn't in your head when you wrote the song. No. And that's the great thing about the Beatles, that you could turn to George. Come on up with us a little intro. Yeah, you know, it's, 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 it's exactly what we're talking about. If, if you're classically trained, you would have written the melody and things out, and uh, you, would have, you wouldn't have thought, we need an intro, and you wouldn't have known what to do. Oh, my right. God, we need an intro. Oh, my God, the producer, the grown-up has said, we need an intro. Oh, hell, what are we going to do? But it was like, okay. And George Harrison, George just comes up, he goes, do, 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 do. And it's like, yeah, that's nice. And mm. suddenly there it is. And I say, you know, what would that song be without that little thing he just came up with on the spot? Mm. You're right. Uh, yeah, He might have been thinking nice. it when, when I was playing it through for the guys. He might have been thinking, yeah, you know, could... That's what I'll do or something. I don't know. But when George Martin said, it'd be good to have an intro, there was George, stepped up. He was ready. Yeah. And you it's know, so beautiful. We, we really knew each other so well. That's one of the big secrets of the Beatles. I mean, we, we lived in each other's pockets for years, you know, and it just gives you this kind of intimacy where you just know what the other guy's going to think a lot of the time. Yeah, you can rely on your mate, you know. It's uh, it's yeah. really in insane. I'm mm -hmm. fascinated too about the song "Can't Buy Me Love." This was another. This was another song that, of course, was a number one song, great song. But the great story you tell is that this song was number one, but you gave one of your songs that you wrote when you were 16 years old. I can't even imagine you wrote it 16 years old. You wrote the hit song. Uh, a world without love. You gave it to Peter and Gordon, and you you gave them this song that you wrote when you were sixteen years old, mm -hmm. and that song knocked you guys off the number one chart. <laughs> that's that's mm. just wild. And, and and I wonder. First of all, I never understand how you wrote that song, "A World Without Love." This is the song that you wrote when you were sixteen. Gorgeous song. But you said, oh, all the Beatles agreed this is not a Beatles song. This is so a Beatles song. I don't understand that thought. It's not a Beatles yeah, I think song. Looking back on it, you could say that, yeah. I think, you know, it's just like an old suit or something, a bit of an item of clothing. You just think, oh, I don't really like that. Why is it in my wardrobe? You know, uh, and that was one of them. It was like, it's okay, but if I ever want to give a song to anyone, that one that one would work, you know. And what did you I, think uh, when also, it went to number one? by the one? way, he was, my, uh, he was my girlfriend's brother. Right. What a cool <laughs> move, by the way. Got to keep him with the girlfriend's brother. Yeah. That, what a cool move to say to your yeah. girlfriend's brother, hey, here's a song I wrote when I was 16. You guys yeah. go record this. Were you pissed when it went to number one in a way? Like, and it knocked your own song off the charts? Like, it, no. It's, no? No. I, I was the writer on it, so I didn't mind. Did John come to you and say, why the hell didn't we use that on a Beatles album? <laughs> uh, did, yeah, did what are you doing, giving away? No, I think, you know, we all kind of understood that 